fresh pot of coffee for this off-season episode because we are jam-packed today. We've got a full news lineup to get through, talking through Jaden Rashada. We're talking through what uh, Deion Sanders is doing at Colorado. Kendall Bryles is on the move, and out of nowhere, Michigan has fired their offensive coordinator. Plus, we've got part one of an off-season series we plan to do called What's the Fix? We want to walk through teams that are struggling that you just want to throw things at when you watch them on TV. Uh, this is a, a feeling that's very familiar to us after this last season. So we figured a lot of you guys are in that boat. Let's talk about it. Welcome into the Three Technique, of course, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves. Trey, there's a lot to get to, and I mean, it truly just kind of hammers home the nail that College football is not just a four-month sport. This thing really goes all year round. No, it it never sleeps. And even though we're going down to one show a week, it doesn't mean it's because there's a lack of content, right? Like, we're taking a step back. We're taking a little bit of a break after the long season of grinding out shows. But, yeah, our new segment today is just a testament to the fact that even in January, even when it's not full-on recruiting season, even when it's not spring ball yet, there's so much to talk about, and there's so much mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, news. Uh, let's start here. News on the on the personal front. Um, we are going to be launching a new content series later on in this offseason. The, the start date's a little TBD, but uh, essentially what we've wanted to go out and do is being a national podcast, we want to create a network and a um, kind of an array of characters across the country who can come on and talk about their specific sport. I'm talking recruiting analysts, beat writers, insiders with programs. And so uh, coming up very, very shortly, we're going to be unrolling this interview series where I talk with uh, different members from, you know, football programs across the country. So, you know, think Clemson, I've got Iowa lined up. We've got West Coast schools that are in the mix as well. Auburn, the, the South, obviously where we are here. I really want to get this full perspective kind of covered and, and have your specific team voiced and, and spoken for here on this podcast. So stay tuned for that. We'll be releasing more details as we get started uh, quicker, quicker, <laughs> as we get closer to rolling that out. Uh, I guess I need to go back to the coffee. Uh, Trey, if you'll hit that news sound though, we'll jump right into this loaded slate that we've got for you guys today. Let's start with the topic that everyone is talking about, and that is that quarterback Jaden Rashada has officially been released from his NLI, his National Letter of Intent, from the Florida Gators. Uh, We've talked about this on past podcasts, on social media as well. Four-star quarterback, not even the top guy or one of the top five guys, really, 
Um, not a small potato at all, but but still, in perspective, a four-star quarterback from California originally committed to the Florida Gators because their collective gave him a $13 million offer. And Trey, that was a check that they could not cash. So he has since been released. Um, Florida has big-time issues now. I think this might be uh, really the ugliest side of, of uh, NIL that we've seen from a uh, school perspective. But Colorado, Arizona State, SMU, TCU seem to be favorites so far. What do you make of this? Is this story is not finished, but at least the Florida chapter of it is closed now? Oh, I don't think it's anywhere close to finished because I wouldn't be surprised if you see the Rashada family end up taking the Gator Collective to court for the way that yeah. they were allegedly treated. You know, we can make all the jokes we want about offering a high school kid $13 million. At least the facts of the matter seem like that's what was offered right and it wasn't going to be one lump sum payment it looked like it was going to be a contract over the course of a couple years and man this florida just has a full carton a full seven dollar carton of eggs on their face right now because <laughs> like I, I don't know how you trust anything a coach or a booster or anything anybody in gainesville is telling you after this saga it's been highly publicized jalen rashada is I, I think, has he fully committed to Colorado? I, I haven't followed where he's officially ended up. I know he's taken a visit to Colorado. Yeah. But... No, he hadn't hadn't committed anywhere. He's visited Arizona State and Colorado as far as I'm aware. But all of a sudden, SMU and TCU are, are in the mix as well. None of those schools are going to offer $13 million, though. And that's where this real weird, I mean, you know, who knows what really is happening behind the scenes. I don't think right. any of those schools would be prepared if Florida's not prepared, I don't think any of those schools will be prepared to offer $13 million. But just the absurdity of that number and the mm-hmm. fact that this is our first highly publicized case of boosters telling a kid something and even signing a contract, allegedly, and then just saying, oops, sorry, we don't have that. Like, are we going to see more of this? Are we going to, is this going to be a, a word of warning to all these other collectives? I don't know, but it, it's just a fascinating saga to follow. And if you're looking at it just from a Florida Gators perspective, it now leaves them where between high school and transfer portals, at least as of, you know, right now, the only guy that they took was Graham Mertz and they're losing Anthony Richardson. I know they have, you know, a couple other guys in the program, but leaving them pretty high and dry for the quarterback position as well. And just an ever improving SEC East. So if I'm Billy Napier, I'm not very happy with the situation either. Yeah. Speaking of, of Anthony Richardson. I, I forgot to mention this off the top. We've also started draft coverage over on Twitter and Instagram at 3TechPod. Head on over, follow us there if you're into uh, what is one of quickly becoming one of the most popular sports in springtime, not baseball or basketball. It's draft season, baby. Um, and I did just put up a post regarding Anthony Richardson and at least where early mock drafts have him going. The results may surprise you. So head on over to 3TechPod. You can find that there. I'm I'm just as confused, first of all, as to why that was the number to get him to commit. I mean, you know, Rashada was a highly coveted quarterback. Miami, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, all in the mix for him. West Coast schools were early on as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this, this initially he commits to Miami, supposedly right after that, or right before he had committed to Miami, Florida pulled his offer, basically saying you're not, you're not welcome here. And then the collective, from what I can understand, kept working in the background to get him to flip. Finally, they got a dollar amount that was big enough 
that he was willing to flip from Miami to Florida. And then, yeah, ends up signing with them. And, and, and lo and behold, that, that number was um, imaginary, essentially. He was not able to, to be paid out in part, in full. We don't really know. Um, there's some rumors of you know some some contract disputes as well, a potential landmine in the contract that he signed. And you know that's that's the 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 sad part about all of this is there are some very reputable lawyers, two by name that I know. One of them is has a pretty sterling reputation, especially down there in the in the Gainesville community. The other one, well, he's you know he's more of a sh- Lionel Hutz type. If you're yeah, kind of kind of shoots from the hip a little bit and has gotten some some of his clients in trouble. Um, the the fact of the matter is, it's it's the Wild West. It still is, and unfortunately, um, you're you're going to have some of these situations where maybe there was a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, but both parties feel wronged in this instance. And Trey, like you said, I. I can't imagine that we don't have some sort of litigation come out of this. And that is, that's kind of the, the worst, worst case scenario for all of this. Um, you know, certainly not rooting against Rashada wherever he ends up. I do think that he's played a little bit of drama queen through all this. And unfortunately that's also a little bit of a trend that's emerging is, Hey, when kids have these huge financial offers on the table behind the scenes, they get to enjoy that power, that influence a little bit. And unfortunately, it, it results in, in cases like this. And that's what happens when you give not even 18-year-old kids, 17, 16-year-old kids offers of yeah. what you can give them. And, you know, naturally as humans, we're just going to spend all that money before we even have it in our pockets, sure. uh, just mentally. So I don't know. I Hopefully, this is a cautionary tale to some of these collectives to not bite off more than you can chew. But as we've seen, I, you know, there's not a lot of evidence to see that this excess is going to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, one of those schools that's now in the running for Rashada is TCU. They've got a new offensive coordinator in Kendall Bryles. He comes over from Arkansas. Really two questions for you on this. One, is this a lateral move for Kendall Bryles? Like what is the, what's the draw from Arkansas to TCU other than the fact that TCU just made the college football playoff? Um, and then two, what does it say about Arkansas that you're willing to leave, you know, what was even last year considered to be an up and coming program, a potential new powerhouse in the SEC West, they go six and six, lose everybody in the transfer portal. And suddenly it feels like Fayetteville had the wheels fall off. Yeah. And, you know, we can't have any conversation about someone with the last name Bryles without addressing the giant elephant in the room. There's a lot of the TCU fan base that is really not happy with this hire because of everything that happened when the Browse were the Art and Kendall were in Waco, everything that went down with that um, sexual assault situation. And yeah, like the, the TCU fan base, at least from what I've seen on Twitter, is very, very divided on this hire. A lot were very quick to point out the uh, interesting way that they chose to announce it on Twitter. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it was. If you haven't seen it, just go look at TCU's football Twitter. It's very calculated. It's very savvy, I guess, is the word you could use on their part on how to announce a controversial hire like that. But from a football standpoint, I think what I've seen from the Arkansas fan base and just like some of the comments that I've seen, they were kind of tired of Kendall holding them hostage to try to get a raise. It seemed like, you know, there had been several instances the last couple off seasons where Kendall had kind of flirted with other jobs. And they basically said, you know, if you're feeling froggy, go ahead and jump. And he took the opportunity 
uh, pun and very much intended there, to run over to the TCU Frogs. And I, uh, yeah, for, I don't know if it's a lateral move. I don't know like if you can draw a huge conclusion about the programs, but just from the situation, I think Arkansas was really wanting more commitment from Kendall Browse. And they also, you know, just looking at the results on the field, I don't know that they were really all that sad to see him go because the results, even with KJ Jefferson being hurt this year, he got predictable in his play calling at times. And I think, you know, you and I watching one of their games against A&M this year just said, Kendall tends to get bored with stuff that's working. And there's a healthy balance you have to be as an offensive play caller between being predictable and rolling with what's working. And, you know, there's time after time that I've seen an Arkansas game where they're getting six, seven, eight yards of carry. And then Kendall, for whatever reason, decides to run a double reverse pass that just mm-hmm. ends horribly or sets them behind the chains or just something that he just got bored for lack of a better term yeah. and just decided to do something different. And it really didn't work out for him. So I don't know that you can make a huge conclusion on the program stability at Arkansas. Definitely, this is a big prove-it year for Sam Pittman in 2023. But, yeah, I, I don't know that a lot of people in Fayetteville are devastated to see uh, Kendall Bryles go out the door. Sure. Yeah, you mentioned the graphic. I Honestly, shout out the TCU marketing department, their social media team, for making lemonade out of morally questionable lemons is what I yeah. tweeted. Because, yeah, I like the school was so non-committal to bringing him on board publicly. And then, you know, to it do took it three or four days to actually it, announce it. Yeah, it did. So anyway, just a really interesting situation there. Um, you talk about morally questionable. Matt Weiss is out at Michigan. Uh, the offensive coordinator co he was a co-offensive coordinator, the quarterback's coach. All we know at this time is that he's been fired for essentially what it what is it computer access crimes um which is very vague when you google it it's essentially accessing sensitive material that he shouldn't otherwise have access to um now what that is i don't know but i tell you what the fact that he's already been fired and that the fbi is involved really really concerning stuff for the wolverines yeah and if you're in michigan obviously it's just way easier to distance yourself from him in any way possible if there's yeah like you said the fbi is involved like yeah sorry buddy you're not going to be employed for us much longer even if he ends up innocent in the long run it's a pr hit that michigan just doesn't need to take at this point yeah uh last thing Ole miss landed spencer sanders over the week they now have three transfer quarterbacks in their qb room so uh, the lane train continues to kind of ignore uh, high school recruiting. Now they did get one high school quarterback recruit, um, so they're you know they they technically have four. He'll be redshirted though. But you've got Spencer Sanders. You lost Luke Altmeyer to Illinois, so now Jackson Dart is joined by Sanders. Plus, you also had uh, a third quarterback, and all of a sudden I'm blanking on his Walker Howard from Walker LSU. Howard from LSU, yeah. right? Also just committed this week. Big time, uh, former top fifty guy, out of uh, out of Louisiana. So, Ole Miss's quarterback is is interesting, and that's going to be a question I think we debate through spring ball into fall camp. Who's the starter there uh, in the Grove? Because it certainly doesn't feel like Jackson Dart anymore. Yeah, the old saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterbacks. And so, mm-hmm. I guess Lane's just saying, "Hold my beer, I'll take three, and sure. we'll see what happens." Because 
that just seems to be how he rolls down there. Yeah, but I agree I, with you. Jackson Dart seems to be the odd man out, and I wouldn't be shocked at all if the next time the portal opens up and after spring ball, he is uh, looking for opportunities elsewhere. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk Colorado pretty much in either its own episode, its own segment. Cormani McLean. The five-star cornerback from Lakeland, Florida, was previously committed to Miami, didn't sign with Miami, and now, shocker, he has committed to join Deion Sanders in Colorado. He'll be headed to play with Travis Hunter. Now, there was a big graphic that got released um, basically saying, you know, name a better cornerback duo than Travis Hunter Jr. and Cormani McLean. And I tell you what, like, the... The recruiting guy that posted this, he does a lot of good work. This was a terrible misstep because all of the internet was like anybody that's ever played a collegiate snap is automatically ranked higher than these guys right now. Because the fact is, you know, Travis Hunter had a hell of a year uh, at a different level of football. We don't know what it's going to look like in the Power 5, Pac-12. And Cormani hasn't played a single down in college yet. So, So to immediately elevate them to, you know, all of a sudden be mini prime times, I think is just foolish. And and I've been really sick of this media circus. Um, you know, look, it's not the way I would choose to handle my business. It doesn't mean it's the right way, but oh my gosh, I'm I'm ready for these guys to put on pads and and stand across from wide receivers because the hype, the projection, it bores me, man. I'm tired of talking about it. Yeah. And when we're building that network of people to talk to about these programs i'd love to find someone that can be objective about the colorado buffaloes because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of they're the most hyped program in the country right now i don't look rj young is an awful hot take artist for fox sports but (laughs) he put out like his top five or whatever most anticipated pac-12 games for next year and i think three of the five involved the colorado buffaloes and i was like my guy you saw the tape of what they've done the last few years, right? Like, yeah. I don't know that they're, they're going to be super talented. They're going to be way more talented than they have been. But I don't know that they make a bowl next year. I'd love no. to no. break that down. Their schedule is tough, like brutal yeah. in the Pac-12 South. And yeah, so I don't know what the long-term future is. I think Coach, I think Prime can coach, and I think we're going to see him continue to build the talent level mm-hmm. of Colorado. But I don't know that next year is going to be, you know, a Sonny Dykes-esque fly onto the scene and contend for the college football playoff. No, no, heavens no. They haven't done a thing on the in the trenches on either side of the ball. Um, and, and we know in order to win at the highest level of college football, even to, to compete against the best of the best, you have to hold your own in the trenches. Colorado has been dreadful at that for the last several years. Their record shows that. And, you know, yeah, they're bringing in all kinds of skill talent and, and credit to them. You know, if Shadur can can sling it and have a good year, that that offense is going to be better than like 13 points a game, which they were putting up last year. It's not right, hard yeah. to improve on that. It's not like, you know, TCU, when they went from five and seven to a national championship appearance, they had talent and they had close losses in the Big 12. Colorado hasn't had either of those things for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, I, if we're thinking about the – Buffalo's is a dark horse conference title contender. I think we need to really tap the brakes on that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our news segment. Uh, Trey, let's move into kind of the main course of this episode. Yes. Let's. Is you, you came up with this idea in our text thread a couple of weeks ago, and you said, hey, like, there were so many teams that had disappointing years that had 
expectations that they finished well below of. There were teams that were supposed to be kind of those dark horses that just never materialized. There were those blue bloods or, you know, teams that are kind of in that, that next level of college football that fell woefully flat. And so we wanted to, to ask what's the fix for some of these programs, um, basically evaluating kind of where they are and, very similarly to a series that you and I are starting on our, our social media as well called the five-year plan, we really want to offer some perspective and just some tangible steps to see improvement year over year and get these programs pointed in the right direction. Yeah, these are all programs that throughout 2022, you were saying, WTF, man, what's the fix? How can we fix this, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to try to build this back brick by brick. I feel productive already. Yeah. And so it, get out your hard hats, get out your, you know, Saturday afternoon tool belt, put that honeydew list aside for a little bit. Right. We're going to, we're going to build these programs back and see what we can see what we can do. And if they are even fixable, because I think with some of these that we're talking about there, are they broken beyond repair? I think that's a legit question yeah. for a couple yeah. of the programs we're talking about. And that's a good question. Yeah. And, and we'll frame kind of timelines. No, no two timelines are ever going to be, the same, right? So for our first team that we're going to talk about Miami, I do think that there's quite a bit that they can do to turn it around in year one. We're going to talk about some teams in the big 12 uh, towards the end of the episode where it's like, Oh man, like do we need to fire our head coach and where do we go after that? And, and you know, okay, we got to start rebuilding and reclaiming some recruiting trails. There's, there's just a lot going on, but um, just you, you play that home Depot sound note to self and, and PSA to everybody out there. Level your level. I once hung a TV with a level that was broken, stepped back and realized, oh my gosh, that's nowhere close <laughs> to right. And it wasn't like I thought I was doing it the right way, like measured twice, you know, cut once type deal. Um, but my level was broken. So, you know, as you get your honeydew and, and your uh, tools out, check your level every once in a while. Those things can break. Yes, and mark it on tape before you uh, drill into the wall. That is that is my sure. pro tip of the day. Look at that. Look look at look at us uh, being adults over here. Trey, let's <laughs> let's head down to the U. Let's go to Coral Gables and Miami. They're five and seven in 2022. It was a disaster under year one of of Mario Cristobal. <sighs> So many expectations for a team that was really supposed to compete for an ACC title, something that that program has never won before. Cristobal comes over from Oregon. He brings with him some high-profile transfers. He's supposed to be this uh, electric personality on the recruiting trail. And while the latter part of it still remains true, that team was broken in year one. Yeah, and I think our first question with regards to the Miami Hurricanes, like obviously Cristobal has a lot to prove in Miami. I think that he's a guy that's shown that he's capable of building a program. Man, what on earth happened to Tyler Van Dyke oh. this year? He was getting yeah. dark horse Heisman buzz. He was supposed to be, you know, the truth. He burst onto the scene as a freshman in 2021 and just really looked electric for a hurricane team that at times didn't have a lot else going on for it. And this year, I know he battled injuries. I know, Man, there was the situation in the locker room where he, I can't even remember what he said at this point, but I remember there was one point in the middle of the season that I said, I'd be shocked if he even took another snap for Miami because yeah. of the locker room issues. So 
man, like what, what on earth happened with him? That's where you have to start. But you know, behind him, they've lost Jake Garcia. And uh, I think that was kind of who they were looking forward to the future. I think, you know, in a lot of Miami fans minds that Van Dyke might've been gone after this year to the NFL draft because of a, a a big, you know, a big campaign this year and uh, the following year. So not a lot to look at in the future at the quarterback position, at least right now. Luz Allen Rashada, like you talked about, they were right in the middle of that drama. So, yeah, as, as you look to the future, Mario's a great recruiter. And he has, I think, currently the number five class, even after losing Rashada and um, Kamani McLean. Mm-hmm. But all that talent, that Miami's never had a talent problem. And I think that you can say that a lot. A lot of programs that are kind of in this purgatory of um, good to average, but never great. Miami's never had a talent problem. They've never had an access to talent problem. So Cristobal is going to really have to show quickly that he's going to be the guy that can finally put them over the top with all that talent. Well, and, you know, I think it starts with your quarterback. You mentioned Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, you know, he, he, we came into the season calling him Tyler Van Dyme. Like that was yeah. a name that he had very much taken on. Uh, and he earned it in 2021, but then he it just, is. Yeah. Yeah, towards the end of that season, he looked really good. This year, though, that offensive line was horrible. They couldn't protect him. They couldn't keep him upright. Uh, Defensively, they actually took a lot of strides forward. You remember two years ago now, that defense couldn't tackle. And they went viral numerous times. I think the worst uh, rendition of that was a, a missed tackle against Michigan State where you literally had guys running away from the ball carrier and those that did decide to go after him collided and, and didn't make the tackle. I mean, it was it was a true mess for the Hurricanes defensively. That actually took a nice step forward. I was getting ready as I was prepping for this show to once again talk about the defense and how they needed to improve. But as I looked over the stats, it was like, no, actually, it's the offense. You know, when when they played lesser competition, they could put up 40 points. But it was when they played a team that was equal to or better in talent that they were or even just kind of with more momentum they're scoring six points they're scoring 13 points I mean they could not drive down the field they had zero going for them when they came to college station and then they followed that up with with the loss of the decade against mid-Tennessee state where they get blown out of their own building it, it got sideways very quickly for the Hurricanes and just never, never recovered there uh, in year one. Yeah, and, you know, looking at their schedule, it's not like they're facing giants every single week in the ACC. Much has been made about yeah. how the ACC might now, I think especially in 2023, I'm looking at the ACC as the weakest Power 5 conference from top Same. to bottom. So it's not like you have a lot of giants to overcome on your schedule. I know like Florida state is rising and Florida state looks like a big problem for Miami, both on the field and off the field in recruiting. And like that game to me is one I have to circle on the calendar. If I'm a Miami hurricane fan, just from a program perspective standpoint, knocking off Florida state this year would be mm-hmm. absolutely huge. It, like not enough can be said about that. Because I'm pulling up the list of the top prospects in Florida right now, Mitch. And yes, Miami got a ton of help from this recruiting class. Like, I think their top five players all addressed areas of need. Offensive tackle, edge, linebacker. But you look at just what it could be. They got two of the top 15 and three of the top 20 players in Florida. 
And I think if you said that to a Miami Hurricane fan in the 80s or 90s, they would just say that's an abject failure, Yeah, like full stop. They'd Three be of the top 20 in Florida. You talk about it's not Florida and Florida State that are beating them right now. It's guys coming in. It's Georgia coming in. It's Alabama. It's Ohio State. Programs mm-hmm. like that that are coming in and just cherry-picking guys from Texas. Florida. And you add to that that it looks like Florida State is going to like fully pass you in 2023 if they haven't already just from a perception standpoint that's not good news so winning that florida state taking back the state of florida from a recruiting standpoint has to be step number one for me uh for mario cristobal to feel like he's moving in the right direction of a championship contender well and and they've got to they've got to beat when they play teams in state they've got to beat them right i I looked at their 2023 schedule the only in-state team they play is florida state and it's early on in the season so you know, you you talk about getting things right and what's what's something that they can do to right the ship in year two, you gotta start strong, right? You have you have a couple of cupcakes surrounding your week two game against Texas AM. You'll welcome the Aggies to Miami. And then in week five, you play Florida State. At worst, you should be three and one going into that game. If if AM comes in and knocks you off, I think that that's going to have a lot of eyes on it for reasons on Miami's side and reasons on Texas A&M's side. And for those of you that are screaming or wondering where Texas A&M is in this series, they're coming in a later episode. Do not worry. They're not going to be addressed in this one. We're not emotionally ready to do that episode yet, so just give us some time, please. No further questions, and we'll get back to you. Yeah, didn't, didn't come across any SEC teams for this one. We will later on. But they have to beat... Florida State, which I think is a stretch right now. But, you know, a lot of people are saying Miami's not that far away from being a contender for for the ACC championship game. They did do things like addressing offensive line uh, in in the uh, high school recruiting ranks. Sampson, Okanola, Francis Maoga, both five-star, two of the top offensive line prospects in the entire country. That will help. Cristobal is known for developing really solid offensive lineman. The one issue that I see, you got to go find a quarterback. You have yeah. to find a quarterback. Their only quarterback in this class, once they lost out on Rashada, they had to pivot to Emory Williams, who's a three-star. Now he's a good-looking kid, like six foot four, big frame. But from everything that I've read, you're missing that, that X factor, right? That cornerstone quarterback that you hoped Cristobal would land in year one so that by year five, which is, the defining year for a lot of coaches, if they last that long, you're competing for that title. You've won a title, et cetera. So I do think that. And I think, too, they've got to, on the quarterback position, they probably need to look really hard in the transfer market next year because, right. you know, Van Dyke's going to be your guy. Van Dyke, you are riding has with him. Been. He has to be. And so if he is not who you think he is, then it's going to be another poor season next year. And best case, you have a five-star quarterback that's going to come in as a freshman for 2024. So they have to be a major player in the quarterback market, I think, next year in the transfer portal. And, you know, looking at their schedule, you should be able to get them to six wins rather easily. And that's, you know, assuming that they don't slip up against a G5 team like they did this year. Yeah, They should be objectively better than Miami, Ohio, Bethune-Cookman, Temple, Georgia Tech with a first-year coach, Virginia, um boston college that's six programs right there that you should be objectively better than just on talent alone so that should be enough to get you a bowl game 
But Tyler Van Dyke is going to decide what the vibes are like in Coral Gables this time next year. Because if he's good and he plays like the 2021 version of himself, yeah, they're probably pushing eight or nine wins. They split the rest of those six. And Mm -hmm. you're thinking pretty bright thoughts about the future in Miami. But if he was like he was last year, if he's a locker room cancer, like it seemed like he might be at some points of the year, then yeah, they're probably not making a bowl again. Yeah, probably shouldn't be saying you'd rather play on the road because you like those environments better than uh Yeah, that's what home I couldn't remember exactly what the comment was, yeah. but geez, dude, like not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's not let's not say that again. Well, let's talk it's, about one of the uh programs I just mentioned, because Georgia Tech's on our list as well. And yeah. I think they would have a lot to say about the pecking order between them and Miami right now. <laughs> that's right. Is Georgia Tech Trying to be in a position where they'd be offended to say, oh, what do you mean we're automatically losing to Miami? <laughs> um, Brent Key is made the full-time head coach after Jeff Collins was fired mid-year. Georgia Tech, we talked about it on a, on a previous podcast. Georgia Tech wanted Willie Fritz from Tulane, but they wouldn't let him coach in the Cotton Bowl and then bring him in. So they hired Brent, Brent Key from within. And, you know, very popular hire within the locker room, which I think is step one to rebuilding a team, right? You look at like Auburn, for instance, and, and the Hugh Freeze hire, that may very well work out. Another fan base that was divided by that head coaching hire and kind of appalled when that news got confirmed. The players wanted Cadillac Williams. And, and I know the players can't necessarily um, see what would be best for the team, for the program five years down the line because they're thinking such in the here and now. But I do think it's a good first step for Georgia Tech. Key, you know, to his credit, he won, I think, four games last year. Georgia Tech had one win. He did, yeah, four and four. Yeah, when Collins got fired. So, I mean, definitely progress there. I, I think that, I think the first step that, that Key had to make, and, and one that you would say about any team that's rebuilding in the way that Georgia Tech is, you have to go out and you have to win some of that talent in the transfer portal, they lost for the second year in a row, a host of really talented guys that went elsewhere. They lost their entire quarterback room. Jeff Sims is up to Nebraska, who I think is our next team on the list. We'll talk about him in just a few minutes. Um, But they did do a good job selling the vision, selling the program under year one. And I think they've got some, some decent finds in the transfer portal. Yeah. And Georgia Tech's just in such an interesting situation because if I was Georgia Tech, I would have let Willie Fritz, if he was my guy, I would have let him do whatever he needed to do. Sure. I think that was, personally, I think that was a huge misstep because you're a program that's searching for identity. And the identity that you had under Jeff Collins was, you know, we're going to be pro Atlanta. We're going to start in Atlanta. We're going to get all these guys from Georgia. We're going to build the foundation of our program off of this. And look, Jeff Collins, that job that he had was not easy switching the team from a triple option offense under Paul Johnson to a more modernized offense. That is like, you look at any high school in any state that tries to go from the wing tee to the air raid, they're probably going to go one and nine at best in most of those first years of the transition. So the problem was you just never saw progress. And what I'm concerned about with Georgia Tech, Brent Key seems like a great guy. He went four and four in his audition year this year, but man, it really seemed like they needed some new ideas in that locker room. And it really seemed like they needed some new perspective. So I don't know. Like they they tried the triple option. They tried being different and that was successful for them. 
They wanted to get away from that. They tried to go with a pro Georgia guy. Let's let's build it from Georgia. Let's build it from Atlanta. And I'm concerned that they're not going to see that much of a change in mindset Mm -hmm. um, with the Brent Key staff. So that's my biggest concern from them. I really wanted to see them go for a splash hire, go for a guy, I I don't know, like a Deion Sanders. If he's going to go to Colorado, he certainly, I think, would have gone to Georgia Tech maybe. And I don't know what Deion was thinking and – I'm sure there's a lot. Maybe they did have those conversations and it fell through, but man, I am just really bummed about the Brent Key hire personally. I know he beat three teams that were objectively way better than his squad. He beat Pitt, he beat Duke, and he beat North Carolina last year. And that's probably the three best wins that Georgia Tech has had in a really long time. But when's the last time a promotion from within, like you fire your head coach and then you promote the interim, other than Dabo Sweeney, has that ever worked out? Like, I can't remember a time. Yeah. I can't personally remember a time that that's, like, really been, you know, a, a decision that a program looks back on saying that's what got us to where we are and that's what put us in a good place. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's, you know, I know fan bases typically, I say typically, a lot of fan bases, when they do fire their head coach midseason, they root for, if there's any sort of progress, they root for that interim head coach because that's that scene is the easiest lifeline, right? Someone came in, a Cadillac Williams, injected some life, injected some culture back into the, the locker room. Auburn objectively played hard for him, harder for him than they did under the previous administration. I mean, it was just, you could see it on the field. And so I understand why, so many fan bases will root for that. But at the end of the day, you know, Cadillac doesn't have D1 coaching experience. He's not a head coach at that level quite yet, certainly not at the Auburn level. Um, and so I can see why the Brent Keith hire would be would be a little flat, right? Um, and, and maybe a little uninspiring. I guess we'll see. The thing for me that Georgia Tech absolutely has to do, they have to get back to those Atlanta roots. Like Jeff Collins tried, but he didn't succeed. Yeah. Going back to, I think it was, was it 2019 when he took over? When he took over, there was one four-star or better, so a four-star, that Georgia Tech won over Georgia, and that was Jameer Gibbs. If both teams offered them, while Jeff Collins was the head coach, they won once. That's insane. Gibbs. Like that, like you think you'd stumble into at least right. five or six in a yeah. four-year period. That's insane. No, uh, it's it's truly a staggering stat. So for me, outside of finding quarterback one, which I think is a common theme for for most of these teams, right? If you stink, typically it's because your quarterback either wasn't good, you had injuries, term turnover, turmoil, whatever. They have to find quarterback one, but on a larger scale, for me. They've got to get some juice back into the rambling wreck. You've got to make it a pride, a point of pride to stay in downtown Atlanta, to play for the Institute, and to rep to, to rep your, your zip code, right? I mean, that's, that's what they've tried to do, and they did so, so spectacularly awful. I mean, it was the antithesis of what they actually needed to do. Can Key get that going? I don't know. We'll have to see, but that's... If Georgia Tech is ever going to be successful, it's going to start at the very hyper-local level. They're not going to be able to go out and grab the Californian guys, the the East Coast guys outside of Florida, the high-even Florida recruits, 
come into Texas without building some sort of a brand first. And to me, that starts at home in the city of Atlanta. Totally agree. And what you're going to have to do if you're Georgia Tech is realize, at least at the beginning, where you are in the pecking order for most of those four and five star recruits. You are going to have to outwork and out scout all the other programs that are on your level. The um the, like the South Carolinas and the and North Carolina States and all these other programs on the East Coast that um are better than you right now because they're getting better talent and they're finding those guys that fit the system that they want to run. Like like you said, they won one head-to-head matchup between on a four or five star blue chip recruit with Georgia in the four years that Jeff Collins was there. Stop trying to fight those battles with Georgia. Like don't like if you're not going to win and it doesn't look like the Georgia recruiting machine is going to slow down anytime soon. Like don't go up against in a losing situation. I don't know if they were just putting all their eggs. They felt confident that they could win more of those and that just trickled down. Didn't put them in a position with guys that could have gotten, but there's a plethora of talented guys that are underrated in a state like Georgia, you're going to have to fight off a lot of programs because like we said earlier, Florida and Miami are not getting guys in state Florida state right now are getting guys in state. So they're going to come after those Georgia kids. Clemson's going to come after those Georgia kids. Um, You know, South Carolina, North Carolina, all of them are going to come down and after those Georgia kids, Alabama, but there's so much talent in that state and so much talent right below you in the state of Florida it just gets overlooked every single year and ends up at places like UCF ends up at places like Florida Atlantic. Go after those guys, go after those like fast athletic three stars that can really change your program. You get enough of those guys, you hit on those guys. And I know the hit rate isn't as strong as a four or five star recruit, but if you hit on enough of those guys, all of a sudden you've got a really talented team that buys into your system and fits what you're trying to do. So if I'm Brent key, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. I just have a lot of concerns looking at his resume. Obviously last year was his first chance at a head coaching job. He went four and four, four and three in conference play, which is way better than they have done. But you look at his resume outside of that. He's coached at UCF. He was the OC there. And I believe he was the OC when they went Owen 12 or whatever that one year before um, Scott Frost went and kind of resurrected that program. And he was the O-line coach at Alabama before becoming the associate head coach and O-line coach at Georgia Tech. I don't know that that's the resume I want to build a program around, if I'm just being honest. like I would have liked to see more success as a head coach from the guy that Georgia Tech hired. Yeah, no, I I completely, completely agree. I will say the one positive as we wrap up Georgia Tech, he did get some, some decent chips out of the transfer portal. They lost a lot. But they also got a number of guys in from Georgia, from Clemson, Minnesota, Louisville, Texas A&M, Christian Leary, four-star wide receiver coming over from Alabama. They've got pieces, and we've seen the transfer portal can inject life into a program that had previously been without a rudder, whether you're a blue blood like USC or you're you know, a lower-ranked team like TCU. I mean, we talked about it. They got six starters on the defensive side of the ball out of the transfer portal last season and look where yeah. it took him. Right. I mean, uh, now I'm not saying see a, you know, see Georgia tech in, in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. Don't hear that. But I do think that there's a, a measure of hope that you can get out of the transfer portal. If everything clicks another team, 
that would love for the transfer portal to really help them out is Nebraska. Matt Rule takes over in Lincoln, and he brings a track record of development. He brings a track record of success from his time at Temple and then at Baylor. A brief stop in in Charlotte as a Carolina Panthers head coach that that obviously didn't work out. He's back to the collegiate ranks. Um, you know, this is a team that has been well documented their shortcomings, right? It just it hasn't worked for them over the last really since they left the Big Twelve and went to the Big Ten, right? Um, since what was that 20, 2012? Uh, it's it's just kind of been a disaster. Scott Frost, that story did not work. And now you're set back kind of at square one after a five and seven season. You're wondering who your quarterback is. Um, you've got Casey Thompson coming back, but Jeff Sims has transferred up there to Lincoln. Can he wrestle the job away from Casey, who was rather uninspiring after he nearly won them that game over in Dublin? Um, wh- where do you start if you're Nebraska? You've got great resources. You've got a great history, a great brand. What's the fix? You got to know that Matt Rule is going to tear it down to the studs this year. And I think he does have quarterback talent, which is different than any of his previous two collegiate stops. Temple and Baylor were just absolute messes when he got there. So that's why he tore it down to the complete studs. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see if Matt Rule looks at his roster and says, no, we can actually try to compete for a bowl game in 2023. And I don't have to do my shtick of tearing it all the way down to rebuild it and take, you know, the old proverbial saying is take one step back and you're one to take two steps forward in year two. It'll be interesting to see if Matt rule goes back to that old MO. I think that he has a lot of talent on that roster. Scott Frost wasn't the best recruiter, but he got some talented guys in there through the portal and through high school recruiting. If I'm Nebraska, what I am really going to focus on doing is using Matt Rule's connections that he built while at Baylor to go get some guys in the Lone Star State that are getting overlooked by A&M, getting overlooked by Texas, getting overlooked by Oklahoma and some of those bigger power programs in that area. Because just like we were talking about with Georgia, there's a plethora of guys in the state of Texas that can make an impact on your team just from a raw athleticism standpoint. So You might not be able to find your anchor to the offensive line for the next four years, but you can find a scat back or you can find a slot receiver. You can find a burner on the outside or a cover corner or a safety or a lot of skill position guys that can fill holes on your roster that you've desperately been trying to fill since they left the big 12 and Mm -hmm. those Texas inroads that they had in the big 12 by playing four or five conference games here every year since they left the big 12, that just has not been, the case i don't have the stats no. in front of me but nebraska used to come in and cherry pick a few guys yeah from uh from the state of texas every single year that texas and AM really wanted and they lost out on them to the Cornhuskers. so they can get back to that by starting with using those inroads that matt rules already built mm-hmm. kind of doing the joey mcguire approach right like joey mcguire is not going after he's getting four-star guys but he's not going after the top five prospects pull out in the state of Texas. Obviously, Joey McGuire would be ecstatic if one of those guys eventually chooses Texas Tech, but he's not worried about that right now. He's not putting all his eggs Mm -hmm. in that recruiting basket, and he's trusting that the high school programs in this state, the high school development in this state is really elite, and he can get a lot of guys that can really help his program quickly uh, just by going after that next tier of guys. So that's what I'm doing if I'm Nebraska, and I think those guys can – 
do a number on the Big Ten West. Are they going to compete for a national championship right away? Probably not without just an ecstatic quarterback, but they're definitely athletic enough to do some damage in the Big Ten West. I, I agree. I think, you know, I'm looking at their recruiting from this season and the guys that came from the state of Texas, you've got an athlete and then defensive line prospects. And a couple of those uh, were, you know, decently regarded edge prospects. Uh, Riley Van Poppel, a guy that uh, I actually remember walking around growing up while his dad was was coaching our baseball team. Um, he's committed to to Nebraska. So it's, it's funny to see, you know, little Riley is now six foot four, 270 pounds and going to Nebraska <laughs> so play edge. Um, that's a, that's a shock to me, but yeah, they, they've, you, you look at what they've done in the recruiting aspect. They get Malachi Coleman to stay home, a Lincoln kid who was committed to Nebraska and then watched everything burn to the ground this year and decommitted. And then when rule was officially hired, recommitted, He's a freak of an athlete, right? Number 66 overall recruit, the second best athlete in the country, according to 247. And then it's a lot of a lot of size and speed, guys that they want to develop, to build. And, and like you said, they're not necessarily trying to win in year one, although I've seen some of Big Red Nation drinking that Kool-Aid and thinking, yeah. well, we're back, baby. Uh, well, because look at their schedule. They're never in the Big Ten West until the I Big know. Ten restructures their divisions. Every single year we're going to have this conversation with Nebraska because yeah. on paper – what we think of Nebraska should beat what we think of Purdue and what we think of Minnesota and what we think of, you know, some of these other Illinois, like yeah. obviously that hasn't played out. And obviously Purdue, Minnesota and Illinois are all light years away mm -hmm. ahead of where Nebraska was as a program under Scott Frost. But mm -hmm. on paper and from a perception standpoint, there's no reason that Nebraska shouldn't look at their schedule and think, okay, eight, seven, eight wins is our floor every right. single year. Well, and to your point, I, I did this. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to have dropped yet by the time that you guys are listening to this, but our first five-year plan is over Nebraska. And I outline a couple of things that I want to see changed under Matt Rule. One of those, win your conference games. Trey, to your point, last five years, Nebraska is 16-37 and 37 in the Big Ten. That is inexcusable when you play in the Big Ten West. I mean, you know, you can understand maybe getting to that point if you're Maryland, right, or Rutgers, and you're on the east side where you have to play Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State every single year. Like, there's just going to be years that you don't win any of those games, and you have to have an honest conversation with yourself and your program and look in the mirror and say, are we headed in the right direction? Are we building towards where we can beat those teams? But when you go 16-37, and 37, against the Big Ten West, I mean, not exclusively against the Big Ten West, but the majority of that is against the Big Ten West, the objectively weaker side of the conference. I, you know, that's, for me, the first thing that has to turn around. The defense also has to be so much better. I mean, you think back to that Oklahoma game, and, dude, they got run out of the building uh, in their own stadium by a team that went 6-6 six and six in the regular season. Like, you just couldn't keep up. For me, those are what Matt Rule has to do first and foremost, uh, as his tenure in Lincoln starts. If I'm reading this correctly, and I might be reading this wrong, but I'm looking on 247, Nebraska's all-time recruits, it looks like they haven't signed a five-star prospect since the class of 2005. So okay. that hasn't been the recipe for success. And, you know, under Bo Pelini and under, uh, you know, before him, they, they weren't 
a laughing stock. They weren't winning, competing for national championships, but they were winning, you know, nine, 10 games a year in the big 12 when the big 12 was a really, really strong conference. So they don't necessarily need to go after those elite guys, obviously, as they're building their program perception, that can happen. And that would be amazing, but they don't need those guys to be not a laughing stock. Let's stay in the Midwest and, and let's run through these big 12 teams kind of quickly. They both had really, really disappointing seasons. Iowa State. Is it time to have a conversation over if Matt Campbell is actually good or not? Because I'm kind of thinking it, it might be that time. For context, if you've forgotten the Matt Campbell mania that swept the nation a couple of years ago, as someone who covered Texas A&M football before Jimbo was hired in Aggieland, I openly campaigned for Matt Campbell to be the next head coach of the, the Aggies. Would it have been the sexy hire? No. But I thought, based on what he was doing in Ames, doing more with less, I thought he was a guy that could come in and, and kind of write the program, right? And, you know, listen, say what you will about Jimbo and what he's done. Um, I'm really glad Campbell wasn't the hire uh, because, goodness, after that year where they went to the Fiesta Bowl, to the Big Ten champion or the Big 12 championship game, I'm sorry, it's been two really bad seasons. Seven and five two years ago, four and eight in 2022. I mean, if they're not already having those conversations, it, it might be time to talk to your kids about an Iowa State head coaching vacancy. Yeah, and I think the 7-5 and five is more inexcusable to me because you had Brock Purdy, who, you know, as I'm wearing my Cowboys jersey as we record this, is going to sure. look to try to get the 49ers <laughs> to an NFC championship game, not a non-talented dude. And Brees Hall, they, that was your backfield. Both yeah. two guys that are tearing up the NFL right now, and you go 7-5 and five against the Big 12. And Charlie Kohler is your tight end. Yeah, like they had yeah. so much talent that's doing really well in the NFL right now. And I think that year they did have a lot of close losses, like just a comically yeah. high amount of close losses. But still, like close losses a lot of times do come down to coaching. And I think last year, I'm more willing to give him a pass on last year because, you know, you're figuring things out with Charlie Kohler. You're figuring things out, you know, in life post Brock Purdy. And they had another just comically high number of close losses. But yeah. at some point, those close losses become a trend and not excusable. And so for me, if I'm an Iowa State fan, I think I, my, Matt Campbell's probably on the hot seat for me this year. And I know he's flirted with big programs. Like, look, take your time machine back to 2020. And Jim Harbaugh is completely on the hot seat at Michigan. And Matt Campbell is one of is like the name. <laughs> to replace Jim Harbaugh. Like, just think about that for a second, where we're at in 2023. And the reality was that all of Michigan's fan base wanted a guy yeah. like Matt Campbell. They didn't, uh, Luke Fickle was also one of those guys too, yeah. but I don't think, I think they were, you know, he's an Ohio guy. I don't think he was going to go to Michigan. But yeah, like Matt Campbell was the hot name for all these openings. He chooses to bet on himself and stay at Ohio State or Iowa State, sorry. And, Man, that that bet has not paid off. That that was a parlay that you threw out there, and it's done after the first game. So, yeah, I'm really fascinated to see. I guess we can start this conversation with Hunter Deckers. He, yeah. he showed some some promise this year. I think I don't think he was awful, but I don't know. Is he a guy that you want to build your program around right now? I'm not sure. Yeah, I. It's tough. He's got a big arm. Uh, he had Xavier Hutchinson out wide. Look, look, they they should have beat Texas. 
Um, yeah. You know, they, they should have. You mentioned it should have been. They, look, I'm pulling up their schedule real quick. They should have won a lot of those games. Like, this is their yeah. conference uh, schedule. So they beat Iowa 10 to 7 in their non conference Power Five, lost by seven to Baylor, lost by three to Kansas, lost by one to Kansas State, lost by three to Texas. Um, Oklahoma spread it out a little bit. That was still only a 14 point loss. Um, lost by six to Oklahoma State, lost by four to Texas Tech, and got blown out by TCU to yeah. end the year. So yes, they're right yeah. there in seven of their nine conference games. And yeah. uh, they either won or were right on the doorstep in seven of the nine conference games. And that just has to be torture for the Cyclone fan base. Yeah, and it felt like everything went wrong late in those games. I mean, that was one of the first things that I highlighted for, you know, hey, what is the fix? Play a quality fourth quarter. I mean, yeah. whether it was offense, the defense finally letting up a big drive, a, a time-sucking drive that didn't leave your offense with anything to get out on the field and, and even it up or win the game, or quite frankly, their special teams was an eyesore this year, right? I mean, famously, was it Kansas that they missed that? It was like a 30-yard field goal, and it wasn't even in the same zip yeah. code. Of, it was yeah, to I mean, try to tie it to go to to go to overtime in the Kansas yeah. game. Yep. So, you know, you got to execute in the fourth quarter. They call it winning time for a reason, and, and Iowa State just didn't have the winning time page in their playbook this year, or really the last two years. You talk about Hunter Decker's big arm. Um, at the same time, they do bring in J.J. Cole, who – uh, an elite 11 guy, a blue chip quarterback who stays home and gives Iowa state a, a chance and a quarterback to groom. If Deckers isn't the guy outside of him though, only 51st in recruiting, which for Iowa state, not necessarily a bad total, but I think when, when fans get frustrated and, and they're looking for something to cling to, I don't know that the 51st recruiting class is something that's going to kind of salve those wounds. I've got him at 38th, actually. I think maybe in the compo- in the 247 composite, at least, I think they're 38th. So maybe maybe just 247 doesn't like a lot of their signees as much as some other services. But you're right in saying that they only have one oh, blue you're chip right. guy. No, you're right. They J- are J.J. Cole's their only blue chip recruit, though. They have yeah. 28 three stars um, outside of him. So, yeah. Not exactly a huge talent influx coming, but Matt Campbell's done it before with guys like that. None of all those guys we mentioned earlier, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, none of them were can't necessarily can't miss prospects coming right. out of high school. I yeah, I, I feel like I feel like if you can correct what's been going wrong the last two years in the fourth quarter, you've got a shot at at flipping that. Now, does that mean that you go nine and three suddenly? No, not necessarily, but I do think it's not like the the team just completely forgot how to play football. It's just that they had a comedy of errors and they've got a really nasty streak going where they're losing these these one score games. You flip some of those and suddenly you're feeling a lot better about a an eight and four season that you can you know your fans can talk about. Oh, this could have been a ten win season if X and Y happened, or you've got a nine win season, et cetera. So. I do think it's going to take that though for Matt Campbell to to retain his job. I think anything less than a really competitive eight win season, and I wonder if, especially in the area of the transfer portal, which 
They did not really do anything in. They've got a mid-70s transfer portal ranking right now. In the era of quick fixes and donor dollars flying in and out because of NIL, I wonder if even a program like Iowa State might consider pivoting elsewhere if Campbell doesn't kind of answer a lot of these criticisms. Yeah, I don't know, but just if you're looking for hope, 3-11 and over the last two years. That's the record in one score game. So that's probably going to even out over time, and at least you hope it is. If you're you out, if you're hope it does. Fan. Absolutely. Uh, last program here to talk about in part one of What's the Fix? West Virginia. Five and seven, and I tell you what, we... We the first fan base that we if we angered, can take a victory lap on one program this year. It is yeah. the fan base of West Virginia coming after us. They predicting predicting that they would have a bad season. And hey, guys, hate to tell you, but man, we and we've got the receipts. I'm sure if I wanted to to cull through, them. <laughs> we had people saying this is an eight, nine, ten win team. They went five and seven, and for for a lot of the reasons that we said, right? One, we didn't believe in JT Daniels. Why would you, right? What has he done at the collegiate level that would really make you believe he's going to lead your program to lofty heights? Now, I know he had a great short stint at Georgia, and then he got hurt, and then obviously he never gets the job back because Stetson Bennett's on on the warpath and leads them to back to back national championship games. Um, but the they need a consistent brand on offense. And honestly, I think maybe Graham Harrell being being there for only a short stint was good for them because at this point, that offense was not good last year. JT Daniels was not good last year. You called on Garrett Green, and he gave you a little bit of hope. Maybe their brightest spot was beating, beating Baylor in that shootout on a Thursday night. That was um, a fun game. That, that it was, was a really a fun, fun game. game. And hey, hey, they competed in the opener, right? They nearly beat yeah. Pitt. That was not a, an elite Pitt team, as we were soon to find out. But they need a more consistent brand on offense. I don't know if Chad Scott, who's the running backs coach who was promoted to OC, is going to bring that or not, but they've got to find it this year. Conversely, what we were most scared of and what was absolutely true, that secondary sucked. And the pass rush really didn't do a ton. They had some some more veteran guys on the defensive line, but it just wasn't enough to really do much. And and look, when you go five and seven, I you know I know you might like some of those guys, but ooh, they didn't get the job done. And then even worse, everybody transferred out. Right I, at one point, I tweeted, you know, everyone's taking the country roads out of West Virginia, and again had Mountaineers fans. In my mentions, going, I don't even know who that guy is. Well, listen, man. I mean, like you lose Charles. Charles started Woods. ten games for you this year. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> listen, Charles Woods on the first day of the transfer portal being open is not only in the portal, but he's committed to SMU, where he's from. So they've got to build some sort of consistency there, some sort of brand identity on offense and defense. And look. Very similarly to to Matt Campbell, do we need to be talking about Neil Brown? I was just going to say, are you surprised Neil Brown still has a job? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I thought he was gone. Me too. Because when West Virginia has been successful in the modern era, you, you think about it, they've had a fantastic offensive mind that has just given them a great identity on offense. You think back to when Rich Rod was coached with Pat White. Um, they really understood what they wanted to do, and that made them extremely successful in the Big East. 
Fast forward to Dana Holgerson. He had an offensive game plan that let them keep up with the Big 12 when it was an offense-heavy league. West Virginia's in a spot. We talk about all these other recruiting solutions for these other programs. The fix for West Virginia isn't necessarily recruiting. Obviously, you're going to need talent, but they just don't have a strong talent base close by. Mm -hmm. Like They are going to have to dip into other places. They're going to have to get creative in getting talent to Morgantown because West Virginia is a small state. Virginia has some talent. Pennsylvania has some talent. The Northeast is getting better at producing talent. But those guys are all, you know, every power program in the country, if there's a player out of West Virginia, is going to come try to cherry pick that guy. And he's probably going to go get cherry picked. So right. it, I, I don't know that you can just wave a magic wand and say, hey, this is the path to recruiting and creating a pipeline of talent consistently to West Virginia. So it's got to be schematic, right? The fix has to be schematic. They have to have, like you're saying, an offensive identity and a defensive identity that's going to put them, set them apart and put them in a successful place to win. Neil Brown, and look, West Virginia was not put in a good position when Dana Holgerson left for the University of Houston. I think that caught everybody in Morgantown by surprise. It was a shocking move. And now they have to face him every single year in the Big 12. So, I look, hiring Neil Brown, I don't think it's like this inexcusable offense. I think keeping him this long, keeping him after this year, I don't know what you've seen from him four years in to say, yeah, that's our guy for the future. Maybe you felt like you just didn't have a guy this round on the carousel, but you've got to find a guy that just really gets it and has an offensive plan. I think if you're West Virginia, hear me out on this one. Are you hoping that Bobby Petrino is a godsend at Texas A&M and you can just hire him as your head coach next year? Because Bobby Petrino in Morgantown, I don't know. That's made in heaven. I'm not going to say that, but it could get fun. They could be singing a lot of country roads if Bobby Petrino brought that offense to, would, to Morgantown. But it's going to take – I say that mostly as a joke. Like, I, I'm not convinced Bobby Petrino is going to be super successful at a and But it, it's got to be someone like that, right, that yeah. has skins on the wall, not necessarily the hottest name in coaching, but has an offensive plan and identity that he can just kind of plug and play pieces in. Yeah, I I agree. West Virginia has to have the high flying offense, right? That's what they've when they've been successful. That's that's their their mo. That's their bread and butter. And even if, you know, like I, this is not a one to one parallel, but even look at their basketball team, right? Like Press right. Virginia is an identity that kids they can recruit a certain type of athlete to fit that plan, and it wins and it works for them, and it's you know something that worked for them for a really long time not a one-to-one comparison across sports, obviously, but they're in the same recruiting situation where it's going to be really hard to get a five-star one and done to Morgantown. Yeah. Well, those are our first five schools uh, on what's the fix part one. I think overall in closing, if you had to pick one team out of these five to have a, to turn it around in one season, is it Miami? Cause to me, it seems like Miami has the best chance to. I could see Nebraska doing it, but I don't know that I really have a lot of... I think Iowa State, Georgia Tech, West Virginia, more long-term rebuilds. You talk about recruiting. You talk about building a brand identity. That typically doesn't happen overnight. It depends on what we mean by turnaround, because I think all five of these programs have a different standard of what that looks like. The standard for Miami is a championship. So if you're asking me... 
you know, are they going to turn it around to be a championship level contender next year? No, absolutely not. But could I see Iowa? I'm going to go with Iowa State because I think their standard of success is eight or nine wins. And you, we, we highlighted it. Look how many close games they were in. Yeah. I don't think they're that as far off as the record the last couple of years seems. So I'm going to go with Iowa State. I still personally believe in Matt Campbell. I think he's a good coach, and I think he might be able to show that this year with a little bit more experienced team on his side, and hopefully that carries him across the finish line in some of these close games. I'm going to take Miami for the same reason that you just took Iowa State. Look, it, it's not that hard to get them to nine wins. And, yeah, no. Is it is it easy to get them to a championship appearance in the ACC? No. Their entire football history since joining the ACC is against you there. That being said, the ACC is so weak, at least from where mm-hmm. we sit in January of 2023, right? There are six more months before we kick off for the 2023 schedule. But from where we're sitting right now, boy, the ACC looks like the least of the Power Five. Outside of Clemson, Florida State, like, who's number three, right? Is it North Carolina? I, I don't really know. Is it, is it NC State? Maybe, if Brennan Armstrong can be can be electric, but... Miami, as you said, has never had a talent problem. And so for me, I can see if they're, especially if they're winning at the line of scrimmage, I can see them being that team on this list that we look back and go, okay, they probably had the most successful schedule yeah. in 2023. But, uh, you know, that's that's the fun part of the offseason. We get to talk and project and and kick things around for for a long time before we actually kick it off. We also don't even have full schedules for a lot of these teams yet. We're still waiting on the Big 12 to drop their schedule. So who knows? Maybe West Virginia gets a favorable draw. Maybe Iowa State has a weird Thursday night game in the bounce house. We don't know. So, yeah, yeah, so much still to be seen. Well, thank you guys for for tuning in. As we mentioned, head on over to our social media, YouTube as well, at 3TechPod. You can find clips of this show. If you weren't able to listen to the whole thing, you can find – uh, like the five-year plan will be going up on our Instagram and our Twitter. You can find our draft coverage, a whole lot of things going on. Plus, as I mentioned, we'll be kicking off that interview series coming up very shortly as well. For Trey Reeves, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll do another What's the Fix coming up shortly. Leave your feedback down below in the comments on social media um, or write us. Let us know if there's a team you want us to talk yeah. about the fix for. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're we're taking applications for any and all teams uh, to cover in this series. But let us know where you would like us to go next. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Until next time, everyone. So long. Woo!